0: Morning. Glad that you're here with us this morning. If you and I don't know each other, my name is Matthew Perez. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, an elder here at Life Church, And it's always a privilege to bring the Word of God to you. We're in the book of Joshua, chapter 23 and 24. And um, whether you have a Bible or a phone or a tablet, we encourage you to follow along. I'm in the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, we have a table uh, right by the doors on the way out. Feel free to grab one. Keep it. It's gift. We would love for you to have the Word of God in your hands as we walk through it week in and week out. We are finishing our time in Joshua this morning. We'll be celebrating a risen risen Savior next week, and then Pastor James will be jumping into the book of James following that, and so we're excited to see what God has in store for that. But this morning, we're going to close out our time in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. So when I was a kid, I used to own a series of books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Perhaps you are familiar with these or maybe you're not, right? When you open a book and you begin to read the book, you read it from cover to cover. You see how the story unfolds and you enjoy seeing how the author has uh, placed characters in different settings and how... Uh, things get resolved in a choose your own adventure book it's a little bit different Um, you don't read it cover to cover but you come to different points of the story and they'll give you an option and they'll say if you want to do this you can turn to this page if you want to do that you can turn to another page so i love this here i am a young boy and i am not watching indiana jones on tv anymore but i get to be Indiana Jones in my Choose Your Own Adventure book, right? And so for a young boy, I'm just having a great time, and I'm in the jungles, and I'm walking through, and I am get to decide what Indiana Jones is going to do next. You know, he comes across this cave, and he says, hey, if you would like to explore the cave, go to page 72. If you want to walk down the jungle path some more, go to page 37, and I get to decide what's going to happen next. Sometimes I chose well, you know, and a, a person was saved, or a new clue emerged, or a treasure was found. Sometimes I didn't choose so well, and um, I might have gotten my character injured or even just simply you turned to the page and said, oh, well, inside the cave was this giant gorilla that mauled you to death, and you're dead, the end. Like, well, what page was I at before this? I need to go back and choose the other way, right? Um, and so I just enjoyed being able to just make choices to allow the story to unfold and participate in the story. This morning, as we come to the end of Joshua, we come to the end of a book where we have been seen the faithfulness of God. We see this God who made covenant promises to Abraham hundreds of years before this book was written, before these people found themselves um, on the cusp of the promised land. And in Joshua, we see God's faithfulness to his promises. But running through the background of this book is what will the people do with this faithful God? How will they respond? Will they walk in obedience or will they not think about it from the very beginning Moses dies and now Joshua is to assume leadership and God says to Joshua in the very beginning of this book hey uh, don't be afraid I'm with you like I was with Moses walk in obedience walk in the word and we see Joshua unfold that throughout the book Just a little bit later, you see the spies go into the promised land to check it out. And Rahab is there. He says, Look, everybody's hearts are melting because we know this God that you worship is giving victory. And they say, Hey, if you want to be saved, this is what you need to do, and we'll protect you. And the question becomes Will Rahab walk in obedience or will she not? A little bit later, the people are called to cross the Jordan River in a very specific manner to enter into the promised land. Will they obey or will they not? When they get to the other side of the Jordan River, Joshua is met by the commander of the Lord's army, and he says, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? And his response is basically like, neither, I'm for God. And the question is, will you be for God or not? Will you walk in obedience or not? They're given specific commands on how to walk around Jericho to conquer the city. Will they walk in obedience? They're given specific commands on how they're to avoid stealing or taking spoils of war that belong to God in Achan, chooses to disobey that command. Now what will the people of God do in response to Achan's disobedience? Right? After they've taken the land, uh, half the people are sitting on Mount Gerizim, the other half on, on Mount Ebal, and they're asked to uh, confirm or reaffirm the covenant with God. Will they walk in obedience or not? The two and a half tribes that wanted to settle on the east side of the Jordan were told you need to come over to the Jordan to fulfill the promises to the other tribes to take the promised land. Will they walk in obedience or not? Page after page in Joshua, really page after page throughout the Old Testament, page after page through Scripture. It's the reality of this faithful, covenant-keeping God. And how do we respond to this God? This morning we're in Joshua chapter 23 and chapter 24, and their farewell speeches from Joshua. We're told in 23 verse 1, this is a long time afterward, a long time after the events that transpired in chapter 22. There could be a gap as many as 20 to 25 years between 22 and 23. This is a long time has gone on. Josh was an old man now. He's nearing the end of his life. And he's going to give two speeches in chapter 23 and chapter 24. We won't have time to read all of them verse by verse. But the first, we're going to talk just a little bit about them, and we're going to jump in and out of them a little bit, right? In chapter 23, Joshua gives a speech to the leaders of Israel. And in chapter 24, he'll give a speech to the entire people of Israel. And both speeches have some similarities. They both start with Joshua reminding them about the faithfulness of God and what God has done for them. That they wouldn't be where they are today if it weren't for God and what he has done in bringing victory. He'll then, in both speeches... Call them to respond. Here's what you need to do in light of what this faithful God has done for you. In chapter 23, he'll then give warnings. If you don't, this God who keeps his word will also keep his word in punishing you. In the end of chapter 24, after the command, he'll then ask for a reaffirming of the covenant with God's people. Let's look at some of these speeches here a little bit, right? In Joshua chapter 23, verse 3, Joshua says, leaders, you've seen that all the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. And you skip down to verse 9, and he says, The Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, says the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promises that you're in this land because of God, not because of you. If you skip ahead to the second speech in chapter 24, verse 2 and 3, Joshua will say to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. He says, You are here because God called your forefathers out of Mesopotamia to worship the true and living God. And you skip down to verse 13. He says, I gave you a land and which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them, you eat the fruits of the vineyards, and olive orchards that you did not plant. And throughout the speech, he'll say, hey, God gave you, God sent, God destroyed, God brought you. Time and again, Joshua makes clear in both speeches, you're here today, people of Israel, because of what your God has done. In both speeches, he talks about the provision of God. He gave you this land. He called your forefathers, Abraham and Terah, out of Mesopotamia, where they were worshiping false gods to worship the true and living God. And in both speeches, then say, hey, what do we need to do in light of this God? And this isn't just a question, I think, for Israel, right? I think it's a question we need to think about today as we, like many around the world, are on the cusp of celebrating Holy week, right? Uh, This God who saved his people out of Egypt and brought them into this promised land. He's the same God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to walk this earth in perfect obedience. The same God who delivered his people out of Egypt is the same God who delivers us from sin by Christ's perfect obedience and going to the cross and shedding his blood and being resurrected and now seated at the right hand of God, interceding of the Father, interceding on our behalf so that we may have the right to become sons and daughters of the king. This is the same God that we need to think about how we respond to as the Israelites need to think about how they respond to in chapter 23 and 24. How to respond to this covenant-keeping, faithful God. Let me give you three things to consider from these two speeches the first one is this we need to respond by putting away things that pull us from him let me show you what i mean here in chapter 23 let's look at verses starting in verse 6 this is therefore it's based on the fact that god gave you this land therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of moses turning aside from it either to the right or to the left That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, as he has promised you. Be very careful, therefore to love the Lord your God. For you turn your back and cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes till you perish from off the good ground the Lord God has given you. Right? He says, hey, let's make sure we understand this call. He says, you're coming into this land and there are people who are still remaining in this land. And you should be careful not to intermarry with them. Now, this is not a call from Joshua about the dangers of interracial marriage. This is not a call from Joshua about avoiding marrying people outside of your particular race, right? This isn't a racial purity issue, right? This is, this is Joshua saying to the people you need to be very careful in what you cling to or unite yourself with spiritually. There are people who are living in this land who simply aren't worshiping the true and living God, and if you begin to unite with them, they will pull you away from him. It actually becomes the biggest snare, I think, for Israel moving forward. Right after the book of Joshua is the book of Judges, No sooner does Joshua pass, but in Judges chapter 2, there's intermarrying going on. There's already a problem as God's people are having their affections pulled away from God. It's meant to worship these other gods, right? Um, In the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you see kings installed in Israel. There's Saul and then David and then Solomon. Solomon will begin to intermarry with many different women bringing in political allegiances, political alliances to marry these foreign women who come not only with political ties but also spiritual ties and they begin to pull God's people away from the one true living God. In fact, it begins to create a split in the kingdom in 1 Kings chapter 11 into the northern and southern kingdom. It becomes the issue that uh, is the downfall of the northern kingdom in 2 Kings 17. As they're pulled away from God from uniting with people who are not worshiping God, it becomes the downfall of the southern kingdom later on in 2 Kings chapter 21 and 24. is there pulled away from god because they're worshiping other things because they've united themselves with people who want to chase things other than god in fact they'll be exiled to babylon for 70 years they'll come back it becomes the issue in ezra 9 and nehemiah 13 i mean it becomes a major snare just as joshua warns them i could sit up here and talk for hours of my time in youth ministry of watching young men and young women who love the Lord and desired to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and began to broaden what they felt was appropriate for a boyfriend or girlfriend before, you know, they were uniting their hearts, they were uniting their minds to individuals who were not looking to worship God or serve him and it began to cause them to drift this isn't about preserving a culture or a way of life that Joshua is saying, like, man, we've got to make sure it's an us versus them. We've got to preserve our people group. Joshua understands that when you begin to unite with individuals who are looking through the lens of life differently than you are, who are processing life differently than you are, they're going to pull you from God. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 8, he says, cling... To the Lord your God, just as you've done to this day. The word cling, it refers to gluing two things together. He says you should be glued together toward God. And one of the things that may distract you from that is uniting and yoking yourself with individuals who don't want anything to do with God. The word cling, it's used by blacksmith talk about how they forge two pieces of metal together so they can be joined together very tightly, right? And he said, this is what you need to do, not with things outside of God, but with God. In fact, Joshua saw this is one way in which you could be pulled from God, and Joshua 24 verse 23, in his speech to all of the nations, he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. He says, listen, you have to make sure that you are putting away things that are pulling you from God because as your affections are drawn away from God, your ability to faithfully serve and love him will be pulled as well. Commit to God. Reject that which pulls you from him. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It is by far the greatest sermon that anyone will ever hear. No offense to James or I, we won't even come close. Um, But in Matthew chapter 5, he says, listen, Jesus says, if your right eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand is causing you to sin, chop it off. He's not talking about physical mutilation. He's talking about the reality of taking proper measures to cut out of your life those things that are pulling you and your affections from God no half measures here no uh I can control it no dabbling in it he says because what Jesus understands and what Joshua understands is when we begin to cling our hearts to things other than God our affections are beginning to be pulled from God and people or things begin to become more glorious to us than God and time and time again throughout God's word we see the danger this creates for God's people. And so how do I respond to this faithful God? I respond by, first off, putting away things that pull me from him. Like a skilled surgeon, we need to let God cut at times in our lives things that are Pulling our heart's affections from Him. I say, like a skilled surgeon, delicately. What cancerous sin do you need to let God extract from your body, to let Him put it away? Because it's pulling your affections from God. I'm the third of four boys. My parents are in their early 70s. And uh, about eight years ago, my father came out to Iowa with my mother to visit us, and um, he let me know he had, he had cancers about eight years ago. We just got a text Friday. Uh, my father texted me and my three other brothers to let us know he had his checkup. His numbers are still at an all-time low. He's been cancer-free for several years, and my brothers and I were celebrating this joyful news with him. But I remember eight years ago, sitting in my kitchen in Iowa, when my dad first told us that he had cancer, and so, like, I'm the third boy, uh, my kids and my brothers say you act like a firstborn, but I'm the third, but I was like, all right, man, I, Dad, we're going to have to have this conversation, I don't this is going to be awkward, but we need to have this, like, Dad, uh, what does treatment look like? He's like, well, he was working at the time, the school year just started, and I don't, I don't really want to take some time off, so I'm thinking about maybe next summer, starting my treatments, yeah, I love my dad. That's so my dad. Like, world should run on his clock. If my dad's listening to the sermon, I love you, Dad, but that's, that's been you. Um, I said, Dad, why are you waiting? Like, cancer doesn't care about the school year. You've got, this, you've got this foreign substance in your body that's clinging to the stuff in your body that you need to get out. Why, why would you wait? And so I was pleading with him to consider thinking about starting treatments earlier. No, no half measures. No, like, ah, oh, well, Like, let's take care of this now. A couple weeks later, he texts me to let me know that he has decided, I don't know if it was from me or one of my brothers or my mom, but he has decided he'll begin treatments immediately. Praise God. Celebrating this weekend with my brothers, his uh, cancer update, right? But um, take a moment to consider the cancerous realities of sin, all right? Cancer just starts out small, and if it's not dealt with, it can spread through the body, and destroy. And sin works in that same manner. And so Joshua's calling us here, as Christ does in Matthew 5, not to half-measures, not to half-hearted efforts, but to take serious the need to have God and Christ extract that sin from us. What do you need to ask him to begin to deal with in your life that you need to put away So you can love and serve him more properly. How do I respond to this God who is faithful to his word? I put away things that pull me from him. Here's the second thing I need to do. I see this in 2311. The second thing is we need to love him in a way that makes him look supremely valuable in and of himself right i'm not loving him to make him more valuable he's valuable and glorious in himself i'm loving him in a way that that he deserves based on how glorious he is i need to love him in a way that makes him look supremely valuable as he is 23 verse 11 uh, joshua says be very careful therefore to love the lord your god this is everything god has done for you cling to him drive out these other nations don't allow yourself to be yoked or cling to things that are going to pull you from God. But instead, I would say, this is the the, the seminal moment, the, the highlight moment of this first speech. He says, therefore, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Cling to Him. Don't cling to things that pull you from Him, but cling to Him. And in the end of the day, look to love Him. Be very careful in giving your affections to somebody or something else in a way that only God deserves. I have three children. They're, they're all almost fully grown and out of the house. I celebrate that often from the pulpit. <laughs> I love them dearly. I've used the words be careful many times with my children, right? Be careful, the stove is hot. They don't want to go to the ER. Be careful, that dog looks pretty mean. You probably don't want to pet him right now. Uh, be careful you're by a beehive and one of you is deathly allergic. Is your EpiPen near you? All right? Uh, be careful he or she doesn't sound like a friend who really has your best interest in mind. I use that phrase often through my parenting. Parents, you probably have done this too. Because we indicate concern and to protect the parts the and the minds and the bodies of our loved ones this is what Joshua's doing here. Be very careful. Like a loving father, let me share with you what would be best. Be very careful that you're not giving your affections to something other than God. Be very careful, he's saying, to love the Lord your God. Because these other things that you may chase may make you feel good for a moment, but they're going to pull you and you're going to drift Away from the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.5 and Matthew 22.37 both call us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We're told this is the greatest commandment, right? To love him not out of duty, not out of obligation, but as a genuine heart response for who he is and what he has done through the cross with his son. Joshua understands that if we're not careful, we may cling to things and let our hearts be Hold from God we may find joy or satisfaction or purpose and things that our hearts were never intended to find joy or satisfaction or purpose in so you need to be very wise when we surround ourselves with God we will naturally drift if we're not careful so I have three children I am a few weeks away from all of my children being fully licensed drivers If you have older children, you remember that moment probably pretty fondly. If you have younger children, let me say this. Nothing has given me more gray hair. Nothing has made me more prayerful. And nothing has sanctified me more than teaching my three children how to drive. I love them dearly. On my Honda Santa Fe, we have the bar in the passenger seat. I call it the panic bar. Mine is broken. I won't tell you which child caused me to break it. But I thought at one point I was going to pull the whole car down on top of us. I think that the telephone poles on inner Street from Main Street to the Dairy Queen were forged in the pit of hell and placed there by Satan himself. <laughs> and there are times I've squeezed in thinking if I move like this, the whole car will and we won't hit them. Side note, we haven't hit them yet. Um, there's times I've slammed the floorboard of the passenger seat hoping that by some miraculous manner, God had placed a break on that side. It didn't happen. There have been moments I sat overnight night thinking, I'm going to kill one of them. And I think I, I have not been a joy to be a teacher. I think there's been nights my kids have sat up thinking, we're going to get you first, old man. Um, it's been a journey. And we're almost there. What I learned with my kids and teaching them how to drive is this. The car goes where their eyes go. So we're driving down the street, and one of my kids sees something on the side of the road. They think it's really cool. And before I know it, we're like in oncoming traffic, which is not really cool. i like, get over, get over, get over. Now, this is the sanctified version of what I say. If you want the full transcript, my kids can tell you how sinful I am. I don't just say get over. All right? Um, but where their eyes go, the car naturally follows. It just drifts ever so slowly. None of my kids just turned into oncoming traffic. They just took their eyes off of where they were supposed to be focused, and the car would just begin to drift into danger. I said, hey, and I didn't say it this patiently, focus, eyes on the road, eyes on the road, eyes on the road, right? Um, because I understand they have to be focused with direction with purpose for their home well-being brothers and sisters when we begin to take our eyes off of god and allow other things to begin to draw our affections and attention we begin to drift not into oncoming traffic we begin to drift into spiritual danger Joshua says, be really careful to love the Lord your God. Be very careful to guard your heart in that manner. The heart is the whole inner man, the core of our total being. And what we treasure in our heart, we will drift to and navigate our lives around in a way that may be extremely unhealthy. Again, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 out of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, either he'll hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Joshua talks about being very careful not to have your heart's affections drawn to people who are not walking in obedience to God. Jesus saying, be very careful not to have your heart's affections drawn to the things of this earth right? And what Jesus understands, what Joshua understands, is when we begin to cling our hearts to things other than God, we begin to give our allegiance, our devotion to something other than God, like the teenage driver begin to drift spiritually into danger, and God calls us to pursue a love for him that flows out of love that he displays for us, right? He says, listen, you want to try to serve two people, one of them is going to win out. It's not going to work, Jesus tells us, and so God calls us to pursue a love for Him that flows out of the love that he displays for us. Later on in one of these speeches, Joshua will call God a jealous God, that he's jealous for that love. And what he means is he's not jealous like in this petty, needy teenager that needs more likes on their social media. He's not talking about that kind of jealousy, like, oh, you know, Johnny got more likes than I did on my post. Uh, 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 he's not talking about that kind of jealousy. He, he's talking about the jealousy like, 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 a, like a husband has for their wife. Right? like I've been married almost 23 years. I, I deeply love my wife. I'm jealous to protect and guard her heart for her affections for me. That's not open for sharing. And the more that we love each other and the more that we jealously guard each other's hearts in that way, the more glorious our, our love becomes for each other and the more deeper we become uh, love toward each other. This is the love that God has called you to, to jealously protect. He wants to protect and guard our hearts in a way. When we see the gloriousness of the love that he has for us to call us into a fuller, deeper, richer love. How to respond to this God who is faithful to his word. I, I need to put away things that may pull me from him so that I may love him in a way that makes him supremely look supremely valuable in and of himself. I don't add to his glory by loving him. I simply show it and reflect it. Here's the third thing. This comes from Joshua 24: 14 and 15. Now I don't need to love him in a way that glorifies him. I need to serve him in a way that magnifies his glory. If 23:11 is the heart of the first speech by Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15 is the heart of the second speech by Joshua. He's talking to all of the people, in verse 14, he says, "Now, therefore." Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, so this is the central focal point of this second passage. Probably one of the more famous verses in the book of Joshua, right? Everybody knows this and everybody knows the beginning, to be strong and courageous, right? But we've seen there's a whole lot more unpack in our time in Joshua. Again, we see a summary in verse 14. Therefore, he's summarizing. Therefore means like based on everything I just said, in this second speech that starts in chapter 24, what he has said is, listen, This God has been faithful in calling your forefathers to Him and caring and protecting and bringing you to this point. Therefore, serve Him. Seven times we see in these two verses the call to serve. Now, just Bible 101, like when we see repetition in short spaces, we need to pay attention to that repetition. Those words matter. The author is trying to tell us something extremely important. To, in just a few sentences, hear the word serve seven times. Joshua wants them to understand that based on who this God is and what he has done, we're called to let that love flow out of us in a service for him that shows his glory to the world. Serve the Lord. Put away the foreign gods. Cut the things that are pulling you from him and serve him. He says this. But if you think serving him is evil, if you don't think it's worth it, you're going to make a choice today, Joshua says. This is what we've seen throughout the book of Joshua. How will people choose to respond to this faithful God? Will they walk in obedience or not? And Joshua says, "Look man, this is who God is. this is what He's done, and now you have to choose. Are you going to walk in obedience to him? Are you going to walk faithfully with him or not? But he says this, let me get one thing straight. If you want to serve other gods, you want to chase after lesser affections, you need to get one thing straight, Joshua says. If you stop by my house, if I have you over for dinner, if you see me in the marketplace, if you wonder how I'm going to process life decisions, My house will do it through the eyes of obedience to the Lord. And this is where the book ends. He'll call them to renew their covenant. They say they will. He says, I don't think you will. They say we will. We then see a a wrap-up that Pastor James walked us through in the very first week of Joshua where some individuals have passed away. The faithfulness of God's words are still coming to fruition. We're seeing people being buried in the land that they were called to be buried in. But hanging in the air is this like, what are you going to do? Joshua said, We made our choice already. What are you going to do in your home? These two speeches remind me of Matthew 19. It'll be on the screen behind me. Let me just read it. Behold, a man came up to him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you'd enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All right, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus, keep the commandments. Okay, which ones? So I can make sure I love God well. Just tell me the, give me the. Give me the, the cliff notes. Which one should I follow so I can do something to earn this eternal life? And Jesus says, man, you know the law. And the guy says, See, I've been doing all this. Jesus doesn't even debate whether he's been doing all this because he hasn't been. And it's evident in this next part. Okay, fine, if you've been doing all this, take what you have, sell it, and let's follow me. I can't do that. Because I had a lot of stuff. And I'm supposed to have no other gods before you, but this has clearly become his God. Can't do it, man. I've allowed my heart to cling to something other than God. Jesus simply saying, cut it. Cut it and follow me. You want to love me and serve me? Cut it and follow me wholeheartedly. It's the same call Joshua has. Love him and serve him wholeheartedly. and Cut out the things that are pulling your affections from him. In my house, through the years, we've had many pictures that hang on the walls. Your homes are probably no different. Pictures of Alaska and where we used to live. Uh, pictures of Michigan and the beach that we've spent many summers on. Pictures of our family sailing Uh, pictures of our home in Indiana before we moved to Alaska. Not ironically, there's not a single picture of Iowa. I pretend those years didn't exist. There's nothing to take a picture of Iowa in. You've all seen corn. Over the years, the pictures have changed. Kids on different sports teams, kids at different years of school, Uh, maybe a family event that we uh, had recently. There's an iconic picture right now where we look like we are a straight-up Mexican mafia family at a wedding where we're all standing there like the Godfather and it's clear who's in charge. It's my dad. Um, everyone who comes are like, you guys are in the mafia, aren't you? Like, we're really not. Um, it's a great picture. Maybe I'll post it on the social media. I don't have one day. All right? But the one thing has never changed in our house, these pictures have changed over the years. The one thing that's never changed, on the front of our door, we've had a plaque from the moment my wife and I am married that simply says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, we've tried very hard in our brokenness, in our humility, not to make that a cliche. Now, we don't get it perfect. Um, it's always been at the forefront of our mind of, of wanting to obey him and serve him. My wife and I met in high school. Uh, we got married, had kids, and uh, moved our family when our kids were very little from Indiana, where all of their grandparents, all their aunts and uncles were, to Alaska, to do ministry. When they were preteens, we moved them from Alaska to Iowa to do ministry. As teenagers, we've moved them from Iowa to North Carolina. So my wife and I have made decisions on three cross-country moves. We never took them lightly. They were very serious conversations, very prayerful conversations. But I would say none of them were like the most important decision my wife and I ever had to make. None of them were. Um, I would say the most important decision my wife and I ever made when we first were married, on a random Sunday, we decided to get up and go to church. And let me tell you what that means. Uh, when I was in college coming to the end of my senior year, uh, I had a roommate my junior who really helped me understand what it meant to walk in obedience to God and really challenged me what it means to, to love him and serve him. So my senior year, I'm now trying to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, not just in name, but in in living it out as well, and I'm now praying, knowing I'm going to be heading home after graduation, uh, my wife and I, I proposed to her, she said yes on the first time, for you brothers who had to go two or three times, man, perseverance, good job, she said yes in the first time, thankful, um, so we're now engaged, I'm about to start law school, and I moved back to live with my parents that first year to save money, and my parents live, five, ten minutes from where my wife-to-be lives. And I had been praying that when I went back home, I would have an opportunity to be more involved in my church. And shortly after I got back, a pastor approached me and said, hey, we, we would like to give you an opportunity to serve as a youth director for a, for a year contract to work with our kids. I was like, hey, man, I've been praying about this. That sounds like fun. I had no idea what I was doing. The year ends... And my contract is up and my wife and I get married and we move to the western suburbs of Chicago, uh, close to where her job now is and close to the train that I can take into the city to continue my law school career. I had enjoyed doing ministry. It was fun. It was never supposed to be a career. I was on my way to continue with law. So now we're living in the suburbs of Chicago, we're 23 and 21, and we're two of thousands of young couples who are living in the suburbs that look like any other couple. Nobody knows us. Nobody's around. I'm still growing in Christ. My wife is still growing in Christ. We still are, but we were very immature at the time. Sunday morning, we rolled around. I said, hey, let's go to church. There's one down the road. Let's go check it out. So we did. It was the biggest decision we ever made in our lives as a married couple because it changed the whole trajectory of us as a husband and wife And this is parents, and this is just men and women of God. I showed up at church in the bulletin, back when they had bulletins. They advertised basketball for men on Saturday morning. Like, I'm in. Like, I got canine syndrome. There's a ball. I'm going to be there to chase it. So I showed up. This was 50 pounds ago, 23 years ago, a lot of arthritis ago. I made friends quickly because I was good. I could grab the rim then. Now I struggle to grab my toes, right? I meet all these guys. I wonder if I was just shooting hoops or asking about me. I'm I'm young married. We're just talking. Next day, we get up, and we went to church. And the men walked up and said, hello. And they said, Matt, I would like to introduce my wife to your wife. And they did. And then the women are talking, and they invite my wife to a Bible study. And so she goes. And then about a week or two later, they said, hey, we got this young married Sunday school class couples from their early 20s up to their mid-30s, we'd love to have you. So we went. We began to sit with other 20-year-olds thinking through life. We began to sit with 30-year-olds who had kids, asking what it looked like to have kids. We sat with 30-year-olds who couldn't have kids, asking them how they processed that. We sat under the faithful teaching of Pastor Don as he opened the Word of God week in and week out. Nothing lights, nothing magic. He just walked through Scripture. And then we'd process it and try to think about what it meant. We decided to join the church. So we went through our membership class. In membership class, they found out I had worked with youth. And so they said, hey, would you like to help out with uh, youth a little bit? We wanted to introduce you to our youth pastor. So I met Pastor John. And he said, hey, we'd love to have you as a volunteer. Now I'm sitting under Pastor Don on Sunday mornings and sitting under Pastor John during the midweek, learning about ministry and learning about how to use the word of God. Nothing... Mountain moving, nothing magical, nothing mystical, just faithfully just showing up with God's people under God's word. So then one random Sunday, Pastor Don opens up to 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, and preaches on fanning the flame of the gift God has given you. We were now ready. My wife and I went home, and a couple days later, we both said, we feel like law is not where I'm supposed to be. We think God's calling us to ministry. So we walked into our pastor's office and talked about what does it look like to get into ministry? What do we need to think about? This has been pulling at our hearts. Life has never been the same. Not because of this mountaintop experience. Not because if we were smarter or wiser or we spiritual. We just came to a moment in that choose your own adventure book where we simply had to say, will we get up and go to church or not? And we did. And then we decided, well, gosh darn it, let's start getting to know these people. We did. And we let the Word of God work. And we let the people of God work. We let the church be the church in our lives and challenge us where we were struggling. We let the Word of God speak in our lives and challenge how we were thinking. And we let the community of God and the people of God and the Word of God shape us. Choose this day who you'll serve. You can chase after lesser things and let them pull your affections from God. I mean to cut those things in a way that you allow God to do so you can love him and serve him in a way that shows a broken world how glorious he is. Church, we have a role to play in the lives of people who walk through these doors to help them pursue this glorious God, reach out to them, befriend them, talk to them. Friends, when you walk through the door, I'm going to be really honest sometimes we're just waiting for an invitation don't go talk to people stop by the connect desk here are the pleas that we give from here to serve and connect not because we want to bolster our numbers because we understand this is an opportunity for you to grow and help others grow in the process choose to stay who you will serve and in the end may god be glorified in us and through us let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together under your word in the book of Joshua over these past couple of weeks. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness that we see page after page of this God who loves us, as this God who has graciously provided for us, of this God who calls us into a meaningful relationship with him. Lord, may we confess that there are things in our lives that pull our affections from you, that we may need to think about how to reprioritize life in a way that that which is most glorious, and that is you, gets our deepest affections. Lord, we pray this in your son's name.